Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Second Act Actors. I'm your host, Dr. Janet McMorty, and I was and still am a medical doctor simultaneously trying to pursue a career in acting. My guest this week is Rudy Sallow. Rudy was and still is a lawyer simultaneously trying to pursue a career in acting. Like twins. Uh, he is a wonderful, fantastic human being. I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation. We have a lot in common. We talk about the whole idea of both of our first acts, you know, medicine and the law, require you to go all in on the one thing, that tunnel vision focus towards the end goal of being a doctor, of being a lawyer. You you have to in order to get all the knowledge you need to have in order to be successful at these at these careers. And then, you know, which is going to be a good thing, right? You know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about having that one thing and the 10,000 hours and blah, 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 blah. But what I found personally is that, that having that one thing, that tunnel vision meant that I couldn't bring in other loves of my life and I had forgotten about them and those parts of my brain had atrophied and gone away and that's what leads to burnout. <laughs> so we chat about that and we debate a bit about that, the whole concept of having that one thing and now do we go all in on the acting or can we simultaneously do a bunch of things? He also had a prior kind of, I don't know what to call it, a career, but love of punk rock music and oh, Hmm, that was me growing up, so we have a lot in common with that. Also, he's the first guest I've chatted to who plays the villain role. So he gets cast, again, kind of typecast as the villain, and he's laughing because he's like the nicest, friendliest guy, but gets cast as a villain, and he's just leaned into it. You know, originally he was kind of hurt by it, like, why am I this villain evil guy? But now he's found his niche. He is leaning into that villain jerk boss role. Please enjoy the lovely, non-villainous Rudy Sallow. You're my first lawyer actor. Well, I'm glad I'm glad to be the first, but I can promise you I will not be the last because as I have been acting for the past, you know, three and a half years, I've run into a number of lawyers. Now, the vast majority of lawyers that I've run into, except for maybe one that I that uh, oh, he was in a student film I was in and I, and I killed him. That was in, that was in, that was the first that was my first villain role and that was Intruder and it was a lot of fun. We wound up becoming friends. He was still a practicing attorney like me. He just kind of acted at night. He was an it was interesting. He was an entertainment lawyer. So what I do has absolutely nothing to do with entertainment, and that might be one of the reasons why I but I act. So I do government finance, and when you just hear those words, like there's probably a part of your brain that shuts off like automatically. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. I mean, it's. The, the interesting thing about government finance, and I know you're up in Canada, and mm. I, I've got Canadian relatives, and I've tried to like tell like my cousins that live there like what I do, and they're like, oh, we don't understand. It's because the vast majority of projects that are financed in in Canada, it's either straight pay as you go, uh, the Canadian government will just pay for it, or or, or they will do public-private partnerships. Like Canada is very well known for P3s. Here in the United States, we, we the way that we finance the vast majority of our entire infrastructure is through municipal bonds. Also makes people 
sleepy and tired when they hear that term. But without municipal bonds, like the United States wouldn't be what it is. Like we, I finance schools, roads, airports, hospitals, colleges, universities, sports stadiums. That's about the closest equivalent to entertainment as there is. And I've, if you look behind me, there's a couple of deal toys up there from some sports stadiums that I've done. And anything and everything that you could think of, you know, sewer pipes, uh, sanitation systems, um, prisons, uh, police stations, all that stuff is financed through municipal bonds. And that's that's what I do. I'm, I'm a municipal bond lawyer. And I either represent governments or nonprofits or financial institutions making loans to the government. And, and that's very unique to the United States because – Municipal bonds here are tax exempt, so if you own one, it's one of the one of the legal tax shelters we have in the United States. Okay. It is it the work itself is very rewarding, and the projects are even more rewarding, and the impact that it has is extremely rewarding. Uh, and the people that that work in the industry are great. The underlying work can be incredibly boring. It just can be. I mean, it just that you just have to accept that. And I've and I've spoken about that. I've spoken about the fact that we don't, we don't have a lot of young people going into this area, and and I've just tried to be perfectly honest. Like, hey, look, like you might think that the the underlying work is boring, but it's very rewarding. My point being, you better go figure out something else that's going to excite you uh, at night or on the weekends because you got to kind of be in boring read ten to twenty thousand words. Excuse me, sometimes pages a week, uh, every day, uh, mode, and then you're able to go find some fun elsewhere. And so that's w- one of the many reasons why I got into acting. So how do you go? So there's so many people that I chat with about their first act. And I mean, obviously you're simultaneously doing the, the first act and, and acting as well too, who are like, I could not find the joy in my first act. Right. So that's why I switched. Right. For you, I mean, you're very publicly saying it can be pretty boring, but how how do you find that reward that you said? It is very rewarding in the end. How do you kind of get through the quote-unquote boring stuff to find the reward? The impact that it has. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, really. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, I I mean, I draw. I literally drive by projects and clients that I, that I work on. I mean, when I see new transportation systems being built new train lines when i see a brand new museum built right across the right across from my office and when i you know see kids going to and from school it's like oh i had a part in that hmm. you know like i i helped make that happen and and that and i i am i am a service oriented individual so i think it's v- incredibly important that in whatever work that you do you get some positive impact from it like you you know why you go to work every day you know why you're losing sleep or uh, not seeing your kids or your wife or your loved ones etc etc uh you you got to know your why right like i know my why my why is well i i I play a role in in the building of futures of of the future of where people live and, and work and so i get that i mean and you know we're as a partner in a large law firm i mean we are also well compensated as well. There, there's that's another why. You know, you got to feel like your your time is is being properly paid for. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, especially after going to school, especially after taking out student loans, especially after bypassing other um, opportunities, you know, where to to make money, and you know that's that's you, you gotta you got you gotta you gotta you gotta take that into consideration, and and it's kind of it's it's interesting, right? Because like the type of type of work that I do, I'm well compensated, I, I get a lot out of it. And and should I ever get those big roles in in acting, which you know hopefully hopefully someday I'll get. I mean, if I don't get them now, that's fine. I got to put in my dues. I got to keep training. I got to network. I got to got to do the work. But at some point, I'm going to have to do an an economic calculation of well, what economically, you know, what am I what am I leaving on the table? What am I getting? Like I got to think about my family. I got to think about. You know, the, the, my future generations. I got to think about opportunity costs and and make that calculation. I mean, right now, I don't get paid a lot from acting. Most of it's free. And in fact, I sometimes I even turn down payment. I'm like, don't pay me. I don't even want to. I don't even want to worry about the 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 couple hundred bucks or thousand bucks. I, I don't even want to worry about the filing of the taxes of that. I don't want. I don't even want that. Just keep it. Give me go go take that and use that towards marketing, uh, please. And and. And I just need the experience. So, you know, I'm certainly trying to get as many roles as humanly possible. And someday I'd, I'd like to get paid. But that's, that's not my goal right now. My goal right now is to just become a better actor. Mm, awesome. How did you get here? Tell me the story. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good one. I – so in high school – so in grade school, uh, I – happened to star in all the school plays and it was great and I loved it like it was just like Rudy you're the star of a Christmas Carol or this act and that that type of stuff and I was like really passionate about acting in fact I remember a story of a, a very close girlfriend of mine in grade school our dream was to go to the Orange County School of the Arts it had just kind of opened up around that time and we were like oh my god wouldn't it be great if we we went there we didn't we were, she wound up going to the to the Catholic girl school. I wound up going to the Catholic guy high school, and I had to commute via a, a bus to to and from because it's very far away um, from where I live. And the timing of the drama class was on Friday afternoons, and it cost extra money, and it just didn't the timing just didn't work out. So it was kind of, my parents were just like, "This is just this isn't going to happen." Like, there's nobody that can take you to pick you up and. It's expensive and your school's already expensive and I just kind of like let it go. Got into music in high school and fell in love with music, Put channeled all my creative energy into it and was in many, 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 many bands, mostly punk bands throughout high school and college. Absolutely fell in love with it. In fact, my parents said, we're not going to let you move out of the house. We're not going to pay for college. Unless you promise that you will become a lawyer. I said, fine, I'll become a lawyer. I had no intention of becoming a lawyer. I, I chose the, my first college because I was always going there every single weekend to see punk shows. I was like, I'm going to go there and I'm just – this is what I'm going to do. And I went to that school and I was in a ton of bands and it was such an exciting time. It was like the 1990s in Orange County, California where you could go see Sublime and No Doubt for like five bucks. It was just such a great time to be into that scene. Something happened when I fell into school, when I went to school. Once I realized that I could start picking my classes and studying the things that I was interested in, I fell in love with learning. 
and I actually fell in love with history and I fell in love with politics and I fell in love with how dysfunctional the world is and how am I going to help the world? And so I decided, okay, uh, I actually transferred from that school to UCLA, which is one of the most premier, like usually number one or number two public university in the entire country, if not the world. Um, and excelled at school, wound up at Georgetown Law, was going to become an international lawyer. My first legal job was in Mexico City. Lo and behold, after I returned back, um, go and interview for my legal jobs, and I was very focused on international jobs, 9-11 happened. And as an Arab American, that's a whole other side story that you know I've spoken incessantly about on podcasts and I've written about. That had a whole impact on, on my life as well. But once 9-11 hit, I was just like, no way. Like This world is, is just too dysfunctional. I got I to gotta figure something out where I can have an impact like here locally. Got a job uh, in my you know hometown of Orange County. I was doing public law and and uh, and liked it. Liked working with local governments. Liked working with schools. Unfortunately, I was doing a lot of litigation. And th- then when you're a litigator, that's when you're going to court. That's when you're filing arguments. That's also when you're buried in discovery. And you're a real lawyer. Like that's a real lawyer. I didn't like it like at all. I was the type of person that once a quote unquote case came across my desk, I wanted to call up the other side and settle it and figure out like, Hey, what, how do we, how do I solve your problem? And how do we get to a place where we're both happy? Terrible attitude. That's like, you can't, you can't be that way. Uh, got a recruiter phone call one day that said, Hey, there's this new law firm that's opening up an office in LA and they'll train a public law person to do public finance. And I was like, what the hell is public finance? They're like, Oh, municipal bonds. I was like, Oh yeah, sure. Municipal bonds. I had no idea what municipal bonds were, but I knew that I wanted to give the law, the law thing another try came here. I'm in, I'm, I'm in the office now. And I was the first associate hired and I helped build this office. That was the attractive thing. They're like, Hey, you can help build this office. You'll be the first associate hired. That was 17 years ago. And I've been here ever since. And and I did I really did did and do still really enjoy public finance because of the impact that I have on communities and the people that are in it are wonderful people and you get a I get a lot of joy from my work. But there's something critical that I got to point out. Before I went to law school, I literally put the bass guitar down and away and I said, "That's it. No more. No more creative I'm going to focus on this one thing, one thing only, and I'm going to master it and I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to figure it out because I'm taking out massive amounts of student loans and that caused a lot of stress. So I was like, I'm going all in. And I did go all in. I did nothing creative at all for 10 years. Nothing, nothing at all. I just wanted to be really successful as a lawyer. And, you know, that was my one thing, right? Um, I listened to one of your episodes. It was the doctor episode that you had. And you had the the doctor was talking about, you know, the power of the one thing and Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours. Yep, I I did that. Here's the thing. Around 2012, 2013, I was absolutely miserable, totally miserable. I was successful. just made partner at the firm. was building my name. was very, very miserable. And at that time, I was also starting to speak at conferences. Realized I needed a lot of work on speaking at conferences. Like I, I have, I'm a gregarious person, and you know I'm funny, but that doesn't necessarily translate into a good conference speaker. So I took, I started taking public speaking classes again. I took a lot in college, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the the performance aspect of it. Then I took an improv class, 
and that improv class led to, led to a couple of acting classes. And, and I was taking a lot of writing at that time. And I, and I always thought that I had an interesting life story um, with the punk rock and the Arab American and the 1990s and all the skinheads and white supremacists that we used to like fight with back then. I just thought it was an interesting story and I, I wrote a script. And um, th- it was very well received. We, in fact, we almost made a movie out of it. Um, it was called White Like Me. Um, COVID shut that down. But that led me to writing another script. And then writing another script. And then I realized, hey, I really enjoy writing. What's the best way to become a good screenwriter? Become an actor. So I started taking even more acting classes. And then I I did stand-up comedy for a summer because I, 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 I was a good speaker. And I was starting to podcast back then a little bit as a guest. But I, I knew I needed work to get to the next level. And so I did stand-up comedy for like a year, and it was great. Because once you do stand-up comedy, the vast majority of your fear performance-wise absolutely goes away. When you're, when you're forced to stand in line and do um, open mic night, and I did open mic nights in L.A., I, I, whenever I would go to New York for work, I would do open mic nights, and you would eliminate that fear, there's a power to that. Didn't really enjoy doing stand-up comedy. It was just one of those things it's like, you know, it's like certain types of working out. Like you go and you work out like, sir, some exercises you get joy from, but other exercises, sizes that your body needs, i.e. like squats, who really enjoys doing squats, but you have to do them. They're critical for your body. Uh, that's what stand up comedy was like for me. It was like, hey, this is uh, this is this, I'm not really enjoying this, but I'm becoming a better speaker and I'm gaining more confidence and I know my timing is getting better. And then. Interestingly enough, my firm put me, my law firm put me into a like a how-to video, like it was called Tech Hacks, and and I took I took that video, and one of my buddies who saw me do stand-up comedy called me up and said, "Hey, you inspired me to get my daughter into acting," and actually I threw my threw my profile up on backstage, and I've gotten a couple gigs. You should look into this. So I took that video that my my firm did and and I put it up onto backstage and that actually led to a commercial because some small internet commercial and then so I got that reel and those two reels together led to something else where I played a lawyer and that and then I just I just built my reel that way slowly but surely and really fell fell back in love with acting so that's the story. I know it's a little bit of a long one, but but that was the process. That was, was just a lot of things that that occurred. It was the I was a creative person, then I suppressed that creative creative side of me, and that led to a lot of unhappiness. And then once I started exploring the creative side of me, happiness came back. Business success occurred, and then in the other endeavors, you know, that success kind of has come through, come, come as well. And I think what it all comes down to is happiness. I really, I really, really, really believe that happiness is the key to success. I, you know, I, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there that are miserable, that are quote unquote successful. But if you're miserable, how successful are you? I don't know. Take me back. Something kind of triggered in your in my brain that was interesting about like your parents saying, you know, kind of stop all this punk music and creativity and stuff like that. You better go be a lawyer. And then you wind up becoming a lawyer. 
That's like, like, honest to God truth. That is the that is the that is the truth. You're like, no, I'm not going to shoot. I did. <laughs> yes, I mean that's that that is literally what happened. And my parents were. I mean, they didn't. I bought my own bass guitar. Like my mm-hmm. parents didn't really pay for like mu- music stuff. Like my parents put me in nothing growing up. Like I, I don't know why. Like I think at that time we were going through some financial issues and. I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't know how. My parents are immigrants. They're from the Middle East, and you know that that has an impact on how you are raised and how you grow up. Mm-hmm. So um, all the interests that I've really had in my life, I've had to pursue and more or less pay for them myself. They, they didn't say stop music. They just said we will not give you a dollar, and you will not be allowed out of the house right. unless you promise to become a lawyer. So I did promise to become a lawyer. <laughs> I just didn't have any intent to become a lawyer. My intent was to become a musician. And I went all in on, on music. I really did. I was in so many bands, and I still have some of the recordings of it. But something happened. Once I started learning, and it punk rock actually had a huge impact on me a lot of the bands the dead kennedys the bad Bra- bad brains i mean a, a bad religion all these bands are political punk bands mm-hmm. and they teach you how to think about inequities in the world and <clears throat> government lies and and other types of things and they teach you how to stand up for yourself and to think and so the seeds of 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 becoming a lawyer are from punk rock is just the, the I, that wasn't watered. Uh, it was when I started to go to school and I got to choose the classes that I wanted to take based upon the punk rock songs that I was listening to. That 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 watering you know sprouted up and I was like, I'm going to become a lawyer. Like I don't want to become a. Po- I was studying political science because of punk rock. Never wanted to become a politician. Will never become a politician. And so. What you do with that is you become a lawyer. Like it's pretty much kind of how it works. And so, yeah, it's kind of ironic and funny. Here's something else that's really funny. This is an honest to God true story. In the third grade, I went I went to this Catholic grade school, and there was a there was a time capsule that we had to you had to write. To, so there's in this under this dirt thing that I think that's going to open up in like 2030 or something. There's a card with my face on it, and you had to write down three things that you were going to be. And I wrote down. Tennis player, never held the tennis racket, but Nintendo Tennis was my favorite game. Wrote down basketball player because I was a, I was a, I was and am a huge L.A. Lakers fan, and I was the tallest kid in the class, but I suck at basketball. And then the third thing, lawyer. I wrote, I wrote down lawyer because, I don't know, maybe there was a movie that I watched the night before, and there was a lawyer, and, and he was performing in the courtroom or something. So that's kind of – it's kind of funny too, you know, that, that – you know, this my third year old, my third grade. Rudy knew more about me than than I knew. You know, my about myself when I was going into college and stuff. So, the law thing has been there for a very long time. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting, and I know I feel this in medicine as well too, is that we tend to when we're in these very traditional careers, doctor, lawyer, police officer, right? We silo ourselves and say. The only thing I can be is the doctor. The only thing I can be is the lawyer. But I love what you're saying about all the creative influences that have come into what 
you now do. Because I don't know if, like, maybe people do do that, but we don't hear about it that often. These creative influences that can bring, that can be brought into a career that can be seen as not that creative, very right-brained. And I think where you can find so much joy is that. And like you were saying about happiness, right? Is if you can bring in that other side of your brain. But I think we're kind of, we're like stifled and said not to. Or it's kind of, I don't know, weirdly like, not shameful, but there's something that's kind of lesser than being like, yeah, a huge part of my influence in medicine is uh, my improv background. Oh, but, that's amazing. Right? right? And, but like right. to say that, it sounds kind of, sounds kind of hokey. But like for, and same, you know, I don't know if hokey is the right word. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's just, there's that feeling of arts is not as good per se as like the illustrious careers that we have, but so much good can come from letting it infiltrate in instead of stifling it. I I agree. I mean, I'm I'm sure you probably connect better with your patients and your fellow uh, colleagues because you have, have, you've opened up that side of your personality and it's, and it's a very interesting part of you. And I feel honest to God, I feel closer to my clients and I feel closer to some of my colleagues because I'm just like, yeah, I'm a creative person. Like, this is who I am. Like, you want to talk film? You want to talk? You want to talk music? You want to talk acting? You want to talk screenwriting? We could talk about all that other type of stuff, which will deepen our relationship better than if we just talk about the work that we do. Right? If we're only going to talk about the work that that I do for you or with you, that's a surface level relationship. Like, what? Like, really? What is that? Like, and, and how do you deepen a relationship with a client if you're only talking about work? Like you, you got to talk about things that you're interested in and things that you're that you that you are passionate about. And we, on good as in the details, on a, a couple of episodes ago, we had somebody on that talked about it, the. She was the author of a book called "Make Work Matter," and her whole premise was it is creativity that um, that makes people happy. And, and if you want to be successful, you ha- you can't just be right brained. You got to use your whole brain. And and when you use your whole brain, you happiness will come out of that. But you have to take an expansive view of creativity. It can't just be acting. It can't just be music. It can't just be doing art. Like cre- coming up with a cool game with your kid is creative. Like making creating a business is creative. You are being creative by creating this podcast and and and. and bringing people on here like it like that's very creative and what happens is people out there say very terrible things to themselves because they'll be like oh i'm just not a creative person well that's terrible when you start when you start thinking that way and you start talking to yourself that way in a negative way you're you're limiting yourself you're putting yourself into a box and and one of the messages that I that I like to get out to the world is stop saying that to yourself. Don't say you're not a creative person. Just expand your definition of creativity. Yeah. I also really liked what you said, um, just because I connected with it, um, when you were talking about your time when you went all in becoming a lawyer. And I think I relate to that as a doctor because out of necessity – because of the schooling that we go through, like you're saying, immense amounts of student loans, you have to go all in. You have to tunnel go on yourself, right? You have Got to. to. You um, have to. But then that inevitably 
Like I like I and I, I remember when I was in schooling and being like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do and I can do it till I'm 100. And yeah. And it, it didn't it, it didn't take long for me to be like, oh, now I'm on a fast train to burnoutville. Right. Because that's what the that's the recipe for it. Right. Is going all in on on something and not letting other things come in. Um, so is there anything that you've noticed you've pulled from that time being all in? as well as now from your being all in as a lawyer, but also now being a lawyer that you've used towards your career in acting. Wow. That's a really, uh, that's a really, really good, um, question. I will say that, yes, when I, when I'm, when I'm on a project, right. When I, when I've gotten the role and, you know, I know when we're going to film and I know, you know, what is going to be needed from me. And it's not even just the role. In fact, because I still take acting classes, like when I say when they say you got to do this monologue or you got to do this scene or you got to do that, I'm all in. Like I will practice it every single day. I will set aside the time. I will not let my my scene partner down. I will not let my teacher down. I will not let the director down. So once I'm tasked with something, I'm all in, uh, and, and that's and that's great. What's hard is is translating that. And you know, I I'd love your advice on this. To be honest with you, uh, you know, I certainly want this to be both ways. What I'm um, what I'm having some problems with is. You know, when when you when you're applying for for a role, right? And 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 these days with self tapes, they already have the sides there, right? So like, hey, fine, you want you want you want to apply for this? You have to read all of these sides, and you have to and you have to, and then we'll take a look at it, and then we'll let you know. So it's not even like it's not even like a callback. Like you have to put in a lot of that work. In order to just be, for them to even give you the five second interview, I do find it hard for me to be all in on that because of my because of my day job. Because my wife, by the way, is a surgeon; she's a doctor, and 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 she's gone all the time, and she's on call all the time. And we have two little kids: we got a four year old, and we got a six year old, and so a lot of their care and, and stuff fall upon falls upon me, and. I, I, I write, right? I'm, I contribute to Forbes.com, and and I've got all these other things that are out there. And so I will say that it makes it very difficult for me to to do that first, put in that tape versus an audition. If I get an audition, I mean, I'm going in. But you know, so th- that's where I'm I'm finding the struggle. How do you deal with that? Yeah, it's tough. It's really tough. And I think there's also, I find the barrier of it being on online. I find it very difficult to interact and have good work come out of me when it's online through a screen, because it's not, it's hard to make an emotional connection with a screen, right? It is really difficult. I think the biggest thing that helped me, and this probably isn't great advice because I know you already do improv, but is, was improv because it allowed me to take my all in logical brain check the check boxes off my to-do list when I would get a set of sides, which in turn would lead to like robotic reading of a script. <laughs> that creativity. But it allowed me to just feel a bit more like freedom just to play. And that kind of uh. took, took pressure off. And also I remember an acting coach telling me, uh, she's also a casting director, being like, don't worry about the lines. Like, yeah, they're important, but to know the story. But I was so focused on getting like the exact correct wording because in medicine you have to have the exact correct Ex- wording. 
in the law too. In law I, mean, too right? I, I, I teach, I teach contracts at, at, at a law school. And I'm like, do you realize that this one word could lead to billions? I literally had this discussion with my students. I was like, this one, I gave them an example. I was like, this one mess up led to billions of dollars in this law firm going out of, going out of business. And it was around for a hundred years. And so it's like, how do you, like, how do you, so great. I mean, that's great advice. So what you've heard is when you're doing that, that line reading for that app for the, for applying to even get an audition, you'll, you'll go off script. Yeah. And she, wow. That's okay. So it's taken a lot and I'm still not very good at it because that anxiety is having difficulty, but she's like really and truly, yeah, you want to have most of the lines down. You can't just be, you know, talking about an apple and it's actually an orange, but she's like, for the most part, one, those are probably fake sides anyway. And uh, two, when we're seeing it as the casting director and as this, as the as the director or script writer, usually it's the first time we're hearing those lines being said. So, like, she's even changed lines on the fly. Like, she'll hear an actor say it, and she's like, oh, ugh, I don't like that. That sounded weird. And then they'll just change it on the fly. So it's great all, advice. I want the character is key. The character, 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 and the overall story. If okay. you get that down, then she's like, that's all that really matters. Because most of the time, we don't even know what the sides are. It's good. Adv- it's really good advice. I really, I'm, I'm glad I brought this up because I'm, I'm, I've been struggling with that. I'm going to tell you that right now. Because I, it, that is hard for even me to stomach because it's, it's releasing control. Because you're like, great, now there's even less things I have to like check boxes off and put my light right brain in oh god now i have to rely on that like atrophied left brain that's been in, a, in like hasn't been used in a while it's scary to go off not so much like you said not go off script but to just rely on a character as opposed to following the algorithm it's scary but it does kind of make it you free to do the creative stuff yeah, for sure believe me i love improv i do like some of the best roles i've ever done was when the director is like this is just an outline. You actors take it to the next level. And I'm like, oh, yes. Like, obviously, I know the lines. Like, in order to do good improv, you actually need to know the lines. But mm-hmm. if I can add some of me or my take on the character or what I've created in my mind as the character into that, I could take it to another level, in my opinion. When I've been told to strictly stick with, with the lines and told how to say the actual word – it's very difficult for me. It's, it is difficult for me. I know I need to learn that. And uh, that's why I'm taking the classes. That's why I'm working my ass off. I'm doing, I'm doing the work. Oh, that's another thing. There's another thing that you said. Uh, you know, how, how, did, how did that all in this uh, translate? I am doing the work. I, I, I am trying to take – I will take any class anytime, anywhere. I will take any job anytime, anywhere. I don't care. I will do, back, I will do background. I like the people. I, I think fine. I've like, I love being on set. I love being around it. Uh, now, sometimes when I'm on set – actually, usually when I'm on set, I have to work because I have a day job. I and mean, thankfully, my day job, I can – all I need is a phone and a, and, a, and a laptop and I can do it anywhere in the world. And so sometimes I'm not able to totally interact with actors, but I love it. Like I, I love being around it. Like it's – it brings me a lot of joy to just be, be around it because I'm watching people create something from nothing, you know? And it's um, – so yeah, that that passion, that all inness, I, I do try to translate that 
to every day in I'm going to I'm going to do something every single day, whether it's I'm going to I'm going to do an audition or I'm going to I'm going to read some more Uta Hagen or I'm going to watch a, a, a YouTube video on how to this or I'm going to work on my resume or I'm going to I'm going to network. I do something every single day. I do. And I think that and I know that we've kind of already touched on this, but so much of that can make your day day job so much more enjoyable. Oh, totally. <laughs> right? Like it's it just, does. It, it makes it it makes it bearable, which sounds like I'm being a bit of a negative Nancy, but it does, right? It makes because there are things to look forward to, I find, if my Nailed day job it. isn't going well, as some days it doesn't. But it also, like you're saying, it makes you connect more with the other people within your job because you just become a more well-rounded human being. Yeah, and I and I just gave a presentation yesterday to um, younger associates on business development. I talk a lot about that at my firm, and through my journey of of you know focusing and then trying to translate that into you know finding joy and and being healthy and and getting happiness, I, I'm getting that message across to to young lawyers because it's daunting like it is those first seven to ten years of being a lawyer in particular in a large law firm is crushing like it once you've been through that like that's another it's kind of like stand-up comedy like you you work at a law firm for more than 15 years or 10 years or whatever it is, you can pretty much do anything because you've been through a lot. Like you've already given up your life. Like you don't have one anymore. Like there's no vacations. Your your phone's on you all the time. You kind of got to be on all the time. And so you got to learn how to balance that. You do need to learn how to put it into a box. You do need to learn how to put people in check clients, senior partners be like, Hey, I'll get to that when I, I'll get to that in blah, blah, blah time. Always have to be responsive, but you got to take agency over your own life yet have people still depend on you. And, um, you're not going to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to say no with a smile and no with respect unless you're an actual happy person. What happens is with the burnout is when, when you've been pushed too far and you keep saying yes, 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 yes. But that one time you say no because you're burned out and you're unhappy and you blow up, you're going to burn bridges. Mm, Just it, it happens. So you, you got to – so learning how to do that, right? Learning, learning how to become happy and getting joy from whatever it is will translate into business, business success in whatever you're doing. Well, hundred percent. It just will. Yeah. And that leads very nicely into the question I want to ask. Do you have any advice for somebody who wants to either switch into acting or is having that trouble getting out of the tunnel visioned all in and is feeling like they're burning out it depends yeah yeah you know what? i just said that on purpose you want to know why you know what you know what lawyers always say the number one thing that lawyers when you're oh, whenever you call up your lawyer and you ask them a question right the first two words out of his or her mouth is it depends <laughs> and so it depends it, it literally depends where you are in your career or in in whatever that is are you ready to take on something else? Like, have you mastered your career enough where you're like, I can also act like I can, I can do that. And, you know, for lawyers, like I suggest that they probably go all in on the law for five years or seven years, maybe not the whole 10 years like I did, but 
I really do think it's important to do that. Here's the reason why. Financial stability is is an amazing stress relief and had being financially stable opens up so many doors create creatively. And that's because you can afford the classes. You can afford the headshots. You can afford to do all of that free work that you're going to have to do for years, right? And I'm talking about the vast majority of people. Yes, there are unicorns. Like my buddy, my buddy that put his his face up on backstage, he started getting work like immediately. He's got a very niche look and he just nailed it. Like he's making tons of money at it. He just, he was lucky. But the vast majority of people are not him. Um, and he's, he's fine just doing commercials. He's not really into acting. He just likes being a, a face and it's all good. Um but the having and he's very financially stable too. So he would he would agree with me one hundred percent. He's like, dude, I wouldn't have done acting if I wasn't financially stable. I was like, no way. Um, financial stability is huge. It re- it really really is. And 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 building credit, right? Like owning a home or having some real estate or being able to borrow. You know, I mean, because maybe someday you're going to have to live off of that. Um, so I, I think it's vitally vitally important to choose a career. Get some financial stability, and 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 then once you're you've built your name up there, and then you, and then you get that that leeway, right? Where clients trust you, and customers trust you, or patients trust you, or your organization trusts you. Then at that point, you 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 got then you got to take advantage of that freedom, right? You built up that name, you built up your street cred. Are you not going to cash in that street cred and do something that's going to make you you happy? Are you just going to be like you know? building up more street cred like let's you know do do if you if you're something if you know there's something that you want to do acting music whatever take that street cred and 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 use it um so i do think financial stability is huge i don't know if there's a lot of people out there that talk about that i think it's huge what i what i'm worried about is the gig economy that we have these days. Everybody is an independent contractor. Oh, I'll just do Uber or or I'll do this or I'll deliver that and I'll just do that and I'll do all of my other stuff at night and then I'm 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 going to go for it. You know that's great. Because maybe 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 you're going all in on on the acting stuff and God bless you. You know what? I hope I pray to God that you're going to be one of those success stories. You know, I'm not trying to be a negative Nelly here. Like I really 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 hope that. But I see a lot of people that after I've gotten to know over a number of years that like they're they're in their later 30s, they're in their 40s, they're in their 50s. They still don't have financial stability underneath them. And um, when they do need to get some headshots or they do need to do something or they or they do need to take free gigs, they can't. And so I, I really do believe trying to get some kind of financial foundation underneath you is important. So I would I would highly recommend that to anybody. I hope that's I, I hope that answered your question. Yeah, and I think I there's a, there's something about the starving artist mentality that is still existing. I think it's probably slowly kind of regressing away, but there's this idea that you have to starve as an artist to struggle for your work and struggle for your craft, which I completely disagree with for that exact reason. And there's, and it's like, Oh, if you have, it's almost like if you have financial stability, you're not really an artist. You haven't struggled for your craft, which is such bull. It is bull. Like I think, I don't know where that mentality came from, why it came around, but it frustrates me because it makes people think that they can't treat themselves like the business that they are. 
that's exactly what I told my associates yesterday was, by the way, have any of you wanted to own a business someday? It was silent. They're like, what the hell is this dude talking about? Like, we're a bunch of lawyers. I was like, no, you're wrong. See, you are a business. Mm -hmm. You are a business. Every single one of you is a business and you better start thinking that way. Because if you're not, you're going to, you're going to be, you're going to be, you're going to be owned by some other person's business, i.e. somebody else's, you're going to be on, somebody's going to own your time. So if you don't own yourself, you're never going to have the freedom to do that freedom is financial stability, in my opinion. Yep. Yeah. And I think as soon as people realize that there's kind of a, there's also a shame, I think that comes, it's the right word, but that feeling of, you can't admit like you're like, you're bragging. If you have financial stability or something like that, be like, no, like this will allow you to feel more comfortable and confident in your ability to produce art or to produce in whatever you want. Yeah. Amen. I'm a huge believer in that as well too. I think it's all garbage. Yeah, I mean, and you know, and you know, I mean, look, look at the impact that you've had as a doctor, like the lives that you've already impacted, you know, and, and you've got to feel good. At, like, should you make the full time switch into acting? And there's still that part of you because I know my wife's a doctor. There's that party that's like, I, I got to help the world. I got I got to save people. You know that you've already done that. You've done your penance. I mean, doctors are, you know public agents, you know, the way the doctors are paid these days and the way they're treated and disrespected, like they, they're, you know, they're so vital and important to our society these days, you know, Uh, and we need more doctors. And I worry about the future of medicine. I do. I really worry about it. So does my wife, but just know that you've already done your great work. So if you ever question that, you don't have to, you've, you've done, you've done great things for people. That's (laughs) Yeah, I love that. It's really, it's a really motivational thing to hear that I haven't heard, right? And I think that that means a ton. Appreciate it. It's the truth. I love it. I love it. Is there any? You kind of already answered this question, but is there anything that you found really surprising about acting? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't intend to be a really damn good villain. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't intend it. I didn't want it. And I, um, I'm still struggling with it. And the way I found out that I'm a good villain is an interesting story. One of the first big gigs that I got, probably the first time I got paid was for uh, a podcast of all things. So it's called deliberations and it was season four and it's an act. It's an improv um, podcast. And I had to audition in person. It was amazing. It was such a, such an awesome thing. I played Alex, the jury foreman on season four of deliberations. It was it's a great season where we talk about cults and the director was just, there was some interesting because we were all actors, some interesting players in the room and the director would, would you know, it was improv, but she would like write me notes and be like, Hey, you need to put this person in check or I want you to do this. And I want you to do that. And after all those years of being in a law firm and dealing, you know, negotiations and all that other, like you just kind of, you, you just get this way of talking, right? Like you have this confidence and you, and you gotta like, you know, I'm right, you know, type of thing. And, um, it, it, this, this podcast had a really big fan base. I didn't realize that I was like being intense. I thought I was just kind of being myself and I thought I was in the right. And then I would read like the little reviews of, of the fans on it and everybody hated me. Like every, everybody, 
everybody hated me. And I was like, oh my God, but I'm not the villain here. That guy was the villain. You should have, you should have seen all this other type of stuff. And I struggled with it for a year. Like I, I literally, it hurt my feelings. And then I was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm leaning into this. I'm a, I'm a bully. Fine. I'm going to be, I'm going to be a villain. I'm that. Those are the roles. I'm, that's my niche. Okay. You, you deliberations, audience people, you've just, you've helped me find my niche. And then I started picking up more villain roles. I, cause I was started applying for them and yes, I do take the intensity of my day job as a law firm partner and bring, bring that into my roles. Just, I do that. And that, Tends to come off in roles where they're the jerk boss. I, I, I swear to God, I'm a sweet guy. I mean, my kids love me. My 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 friends love me. I got a lot of, my my coworkers love. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm serious about that. But yes, I could tap into intensity like that. And so that was the thing that was surprising to me: the villain, how long it would take me to kind of accept that about myself, and then leaning into it. And that's that's my niche. I mean, in L.A., you know, you talked about on that. Last episode, you know, it's not a small market. It's a large market. You got to figure out your niche. And my niche is that. Like, I, I'll play the villain. And I, and I love it. And in fact, if I only got those roles for the rest of my life, I'd be perfectly happy with that. <laughs> is there anything you're looking forward to this year? Coming up for you? Hopefully, um, you know, right now for the first time in, in like over a year, I because I, 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 ju- I was just in something like two days ago and then I was in something like a week ago. I don't have anything right now. And so I'm looking forward to what my next gig. I don't care what it is. I just I just want a gig because, you know, as an actor, right? Isn't that isn't that what you're constantly thinking about? Like if you don't have one, you're like, oh, it's over. It's done. I'm never going to I'm never going to work again. I tell it's finished. I suck. So I'm looking forward to my next gig. What about you? Yeah, same thing, right? Would they keep telling, my agent keeps saying, it's getting so busy in Toronto. And I'm like, I haven't seen it yet. But that's okay, right? You just keep prepping and keep working on, working with classes and doing the improv so that you're ready when the onslaught happens, right? It's training for a marathon. Not a sprint. Amen. (laughs) Amen. And I, you know, last year I I climbed my first big mountain. It was the, the, the Mount Whitney here in California. And I trained for that for like a year. And it, it, that's exactly what it was. Like it was every time I would work out, every time I would climb a mountain, these small little hills, it was like, well, it's not Mount Whitney, but every little tiny thing that I was doing in training, it was in preparation for that. And that's the mentality that I, that I have to, to, to keep with. So thank you. That that's very helpful. Well, and it's, it's such a thing about our, about the acting industry that I don't think exists in a lot of other places is how it's, you never know what can happen and it's fast turnaround. Right, so you have to be like in the sprinter blocks, like ready to go. Because, like, I, I got an audi- a voiceover audition like two days ago that was due like three hours later. And you're like, That's so hard. Okay, here we go. Right, right? especially yeah. if you're especially with our day jobs and and uh, and I like I actually like to do the scenes with my wife when she's home, um, and she's not home until late at night. And sometimes when I get those urgent ones, I got to do them on my own. They just don't sound as good. It's hard to find. It's hard to find that balance. I think when you are balancing simultaneously pursuing two different careers, but I think yeah. that's also where we can thrive, right? Because I think in high stress situations, oh. I think we can handle it, right? Easily. And like you're saying with the stand up, like that's the most terrifying thing in the world. Um, I have yet to try it. It's definitely on my bucket list because that exact thing, right? There's Janet. No fear left. 
promise me that you'll do it. I, I, I swear. I, mean, I can already tell you're an awesome person. You, you don't look like you have any fear. But I, it takes you to this whole other level of confidence that can never be matched. And do it for a year. Do it for a year. Don't don't just take a class. Do it for a year. Go to open mics. Be cool with the crowd not laughing because <laughs> never. I only had I had one good night. I had only one good night. It was a great. It was actually pretty much after that night. I was like, you know what? If I never do stand up again, I'm good. But you got to be cool with that. I, it'll it'll change your life. I promise. That's awesome. And I've heard that from a couple other people I've chatted with who've done stand-up as they've used it as a tool for their acting craft. And they yep. usually come from a background kind of like yours, public speaking. I talked to a guy who's a pastor and he does, now does stand-up comedy. Huge Amazing. correlation, right? You Huge. have an audience and sometimes they don't like you, right? So you right. have to adapt. And um, yeah, no, I'm excited. I think it's definitely one of those bucket list things I just need to just need to. Go all in that, and just do it. That's all. That's awesome. <laughs> you, you know what? When I, when I did stand up, I went all in on that too. I really did. I re I was another thing. It was another translated thing. I did go all in on it until, and then I was done. I, I did go all in a hundred percent. Yeah. That's awesome. Is, do you have any final words of wisdom or good, anything to kind of share? The only thing I could share is that. Uh, do, 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 do what, do what makes you happy. Um, in, 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 but you know, be realistic about it. I mean, there's, there, there, you know, you get to, Oh, well you, you said to be financially stable and then you said to be, you know, do what makes me happy. Yeah. You also kind of got to be realistic. I mean, the, our world and our economy and, and everything is ever changing. I will tell you, if you're financially stable, and, and, and you, that's when you're going to get your happiness, and that will open up so many more doors for you. I, I truly believe in that, I, and I, I loved what you said about the str the struggling artist. I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, you said it best. That's the best advice. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and thank you, Rudy, for being my guest this week. Thank you for the fantastic conversation, the wonderful insight, words of wisdom, and the great debates and banter back and forth. I loved chatting with you. Again, I, we have so much in common, and I appreciated just the kind of scientific, deep-dive technical debates we had. It was fantastic. Also, thank you for reminding me how much I loved punk rock music growing up and still do. I just haven't listened to it in a long time. I'm about to go on a training run and I think I'm gonna, you know, dig out some of the old, uh, I was about to say CDs, but you know what I mean. Look up some of the old bands. God, punk rock music was great, especially in the 90s. Oh, good times. <laughs> Thank you everyone again for tuning in and I hope you'll join me again next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye! Second Act Actors is produced and edited by me, Janet McMorty. Theme music by Guillaume. Additional sound editing by David Studio. Additional video editing by Jackie Wadewer. Show notes written by Sarah Hopkinson. I record using Riverside FM. If you're interested in developing an interview-based webcast like mine, I highly recommend this platform. Shoot me an email and I'll direct you to the wonderful folks there. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest, email me at secondactactors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. My love language is words of affirmation, so compliments, constructive criticism, and feedback are always welcome and encouraged. 
Negative Nancys, Judgy McJudgersons, or Debbie Downers, unless you're Rachel Dratch, regarding me or my guests are not welcome. It takes serious courage to share your story with the world, so if you're tempted to negatively comment about someone else's story, please ask your therapist why you're such a garbage person. Save the drama for the stage. On that happy note, I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye! Bye!